Hi, I'm Louise Goffin, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andras Jones. Welcome to Radio 8-Ball. Give us a shake. We're live in the studio, tempting fate. Wherever you are, putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select with the help of our friend. Synchronicity, and now it's time for Radio 8-Ball. Give us a shake. It's the Radio 8-Ball Show. Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8-Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8-Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8-Ball app if you're an iPhone user. It's free, and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Mike Wilcox asked, Is true love uh, a thing of the past? And received as his randomly chosen answer from the pop oracle, New Year's Day by Louise Goffin, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, on December 12th, 2017. Everybody makes a dream this time of year From now on, gonna be good for you All your friends and family Gather round in peace and harmony We'll be joined in this episode by Louise Goffin from somewhere near a beach in Los Angeles, California. Louise has been very busy since she was on the show in 2017. She's got a new album, and I must have made podcasting look fun because she's hosted two of her own in the interim. Her latest is Song Chronicles, a podcast where she uses the access and insight she has gained growing up in the music business to speak to some great and often overlooked songwriters and those who swim deep in the sea of song. I've only heard one so far, but if the episode featuring J.D. Souther is anything to go by, Louise has a knack for drawing stories, buried memories, and songs from her guests. For those who are unaware, Louise is the daughter of Carol King and Gary Goffin and has been putting out her own music since the early 80s. I first remember hearing her on the soundtrack to Fast Times at Ridgemont High with her song Uptown Boys. I've been escaping more and more into film these days as I've been preparing a new podcast, The World is Wrong, with me and Brian Connolly talking about films and film-adjacent arts and artists we love who have gotten short shrift from critics and audiences. Now, I'm sure you know how committed I am to hosting 
and producing Radio 8 Ball, but it's been good to expand my focus into an area like film that has always brought me joy. Joy is not exactly a substitute for an intelligent institutional response to a global pandemic, police state tactics from local and federal authorities, and temperatures rising all over the planet, but it's better than abject horror and dread, so yeah, I've been watching a lot of movies and talking about them. Stay tuned for more info on the World is Wrong podcast in future episodes. Here's a sneak peek at our theme song. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Apologies. Yeah, the thing I want to talk about before we dive into our musical divination with Louise is the concept of apology. Because I got a good one this week, and I'm trying to really take it in. For better or for worse, I am a person who walks through life awaiting a slew of apologies. I know how that sounds, and trust me, it feels even worse. I've learned through painful trial and error that the only effective antidote to these weak and needy thoughts is forgiveness. Selfish forgiveness. Forgiveness that's more like a knife to cut off a limb to get out of a trap than anything noble or generous. The limb always grows back, though, and I'll find myself thinking of a friend who betrayed me or a group that abandoned me or refused to listen when I shared uncomfortable truths that they now accept. Needless to say, apologies are rare, and even rarer are honest apologies, ones that are given freely and aren't offered as part of an emotional negotiation or manipulation. A solid apology doesn't demand immediate acceptance. It respects that accepting and responding to an apology when real damage has been done is not easy. A genuine apology has a tendency to reopen the old wound, and the person receiving the apology has to feel it all over again, and this likely includes feeling some of the anger they had at the person who is now apologizing. Given space and time to really take it in, though, the vigor of an apology can outweigh the initial insult if it is accompanied by something new. This could be an avenue to discuss difficult topics that didn't exist before, or a public statement of support, or a new way of being that generates trust. Personally, I'll take all three, and I feel like I got that this week from someone, and it feels really good. Makes me wonder if there's anyone I owe an apology to. Sounds like a question for the Pop Oracle on a future bonus episode. Now, I don't know about apologies, but I do have a whole lot of thank yous, particularly for those of you who have been downloading our app and sharing it with your friends, and especially for those of you who have paid the $1 a month that takes to be a part of our Patreon campaign and get access to our bonus episodes featuring my questions for the Pop Oracle. There is one area where gratitude is a little bit more difficult to muster as no matter how many ways I find to beg, plead, cajole, and implore you to give us good ratings and reviews, nothing I say has inspired you to take action. I can only imagine this is because you don't want other people to discover Radio 8 Ball. Maybe you're just a jealous and possessive person and are afraid that if others are enjoying the show, this will somehow limit your enjoyment. Please, 
let me assure you the exact opposite is true. In fact, the more attention and intention that is directed at the pop oracle will only increase and energize the field of synchronicity and your experience. I guess it's also possible that your experience with Radio 8 Ball is so intimate and your community is so rigorously judgmental of music and or synchronicity that outing yourself as someone who enjoys the show could lead you to losing work or even being targeted for violent mischief. If that's the case, by all means, please listen surreptitiously. But if leaving us good reviews and ratings isn't going to get you blacklisted or burned at the stake, maybe you could see your way to doing so. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the Pop Oracle Song of the Day from the day I had my conversation with Louise Goffin on July 28, 2020. It's Pamela by Bart Davenport, recorded on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California on October 10th, 2017. Pamela, owner of my heart, over the waves of blue. Pamela, now that you got me, what are you gonna do? When it comes to making love right And when it comes to saying things that I like Well, my darling, there's no one like you Pamela, free as a wildfire Sweeter than any fruit Well, pretty one, no contradiction To be so bold, so cute To mess up your hair Hear you play your ukulele tune And when you're drawing up your future plans Will you pencil me in there soon? Cause when it comes to making love right And when it comes to saying things that I like Well, my darling, there's no one Position to make one dream come true. Oh, I'm a love, I'm a I don't know right from wrong. No, I'm I've got dyslexia. Except when singing a song Cause when it comes down to it You're right And when the world keeps turning Day into night My own head's revolving around you Oh, I'm in love, I'm in
And here we are on Radio 8 Ball on July 28th, 2020, with our guest, Louise Goffin. Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, Louise. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. And I I think I just made it to stay in July. (laughs) (laughs) As this year just like speeds along. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, your song, New Year's Day, came up as the answer to Mike Wilcox's question about true love in our last episode. We want to talk with you about that. That's why you're here. But Awesome. Before we do, I'm just curious to know how and where are you pandemicking through all of this? I am on the west side of Los Angeles, um, and... I don't go out that often, actually. I'm, I do have a backyard um, that's nice. So I have a vegetable garden that I planted at the beginning of all this and a table on a deck outside where I often sit, you know, to eat if the weather's nice. And uh, I just pretty much have made different rooms of my house, you know, like office in my head you know like oh I've been in this room a long time I need to go to the office okay I'll go to the other room (laughs) I just decide to make a space you know the place of that I've driven to so that I just change my headspace right but I take walks and um I live near the ocean so it's you know I get all masked and gloved up, and um, I have been exercising a lot because I got a indoor bike, and uh, talk to a lot of friends and shoot a lot of video and record a lot of songs, and yeah. When you say shoot a lot of video, what do you mean? Like, are you, are you crafting? Are you working on creating a video, or is this more like live performance video that you're doing? Are you? I've seen you've done some live video performances right yeah i have actually the last three years i've been editing a lot of videos for myself i just you know i'll film things on my phone um or i'll use some stock footage and turn it around and do things a different way with it um i'm always creating content of some kind but lately what i've been doing is i turned my garage into a performance space put up you know velvet curtains and christmas lights and last year well i saw you in february actually of this year but um yeah last year i went to audio engineering school so you know i'm all into microphones right now and uh i have a little cocktail drum set and Lately, I've just been recording video at the same time as recording audio and then putting it all together. So it's a lot of editing. And I have my own podcast as well. So I, I you know, interview people and edit that. It's a, it's a lot of stuff I do. That's the songwriter podcast that you do with Paul Zolo? Well, we did it together for a little over a year. And then I started my own podcast um which i'm doing on my own called song chronicles song chronicles excellent well i'll provide links to that in the show notes 
Uh, yeah, so absolutely. For people who haven't heard of it before and you want to direct them towards one particular episode, is there one that is your sort of handshake episode, get to know me episode that people should check out? Um, there, uh, every, I loved every interview. Um, the very first episode is with Sam Hollander. Um, and then uh, I have Desmond Child, which is a great interview. Um, I, I love the interview with J.D. Souther. It's, uh, I don't know, he was just great. He just kept picking up the guitar and, and he's so knowledgeable about jazz and songs. And we're, we go back a really long way. So, you know, he was talking about, you know, all the early days when he was Linda Ronstadt's boyfriend and then writing songs you know, that she was doing and Warren Zevon. I mean, it's just, it's just a fantastic interview. I love it so much. So I checked that one out. And you mostly talk about the art of song, I, I gather. Uh, I'm, I'm a historian. Like I really like hearing the stories of I'm not so no. It's it's not really the art of song. No, there's it's plenty more of like people who the stories behind the songs, like people telling their just talking yeah, about I their mean, lives and what brought them to and out of those songs. Yeah, there's that. I mean, you end up getting inside the art of the song in that conversation. But you know, I'm a historian by nature, and I'm also a people person you know so my goal honestly when I talk to people is I want to I want to get inside the humanness of where they are at these really significant moments in their lives where they thought of that idea you know or they were writing that song that you know we are that's become iconic or my last interview was with Gail Ann Dorsey who I knew, I mean, we we're really good friends, but we were together on tour. She she actually pitched me for this to tour with um, Brian Ferry when I lived in London uh, to do a TV tour. It was like, I don't know, it was maybe 10 days. It, it wasn't that long, but we went we went to Madrid and Copenhagen and, you know, Paris. It was just you know, to do TV shows. And I made a video, like I'm in a Brian Ferry video playing banjo. Um, anyway, during that time that Gail and I were out, we went to a cafe one day and she told me she wanted to play with David Bowie and it was in her mind. It was a life dream. She wanted to play with David Bowie, but she had no connection to him, had, no, had taken no action. <laughs> It was just a picture in her mind that she wanted. Well, what ended up happening a year and a half later is David Bowie called her and she, you know, she worked with David Bowie touring for 20 years. Um, those things fascinate me. Like, I want to know, you know, we, we talked a lot about that in the interview. And she said she came from Philadelphia and everything in her childhood told her that she couldn't achieve any of the things she achieved you know there was nothing to support any of her vision and that she pretty much lived on fantasy and um but she really did believe in the power of 
uh, visualization and, and, you know, what you see, if you just keep seeing it, she believes that you manifest that. And, and, <laughs> and talking about that, that was fascinating to me to hear that story. So, yeah, that's what I like to talk about. Sounds kind of like a synchronicity show to me. Well, I'm all about that. Yeah. I'm so about that. <laughs> and 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 this can segue very nicely to the synchronicity of New Year's Day because there are so many synchronicities. It's insane. First of all, I hated the way you said I decline. <laughs> it was just like, you know, it was just like, no. Well, that, you didn't say, well, uh, uh, let me you didn't get... say, oh, the timing was bad for her. You just said, and she declined. Well, let me just let me just be clear. That's just the language I use for everyone. I try and have standard stock language that I re- re- use to refer to people. I know. You're, who don't you're do a negative Jew. No, no, it's not even negative. It's just sort of like, it's the most sort of like, like unavailable sounds like, like you just like, you know what? I'm a big believer in consent. And I, in that sense, a no is a very powerful thing. I respect a no. So I, you know, I, I absolutely 100%, if I said it with any tone, I apologize. I no, no, not, celebrate not your, 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 your declination. What do we have? Is there? Uh, never mind. Decline. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the maybe t- I should correct it. I'll find a better word for it. Well, whatever. The timing wasn't right. But yeah. honestly, the second time it got chosen, which the probability is insane that it would yeah. get chosen again, um, it was a way better question. <laughs> and, it's true. It's true. You're right. You, you I can't, I can't argue I, with that. I went from, I went from uh, is Mick Jagger and Beck going to sing together in 2020 yeah. to, um, you know, the existence of true love. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather have the second one. So I guess that was the um, universe saying, well, Aunt Andres, you know this. You know, if you if you if you're gonna get Louise, you're gonna have to like, you know, ask some really serious questions. That's a real oracle answer. Yeah, you kind they kind of gave us a a goofball question and got, you know, we did the best. I had to continue holding space for it. It's not my job to to say yeah. what a good question or a bad question is. But I think there is that is a a nice message from the universe. Is like when you when you. If you're in rhythm with stuff, when you decline, you're not actually missing out on something. You're just saying, mm, I'm going to wait for it to come around again. Oh, well, the odds of that are astronomical. That can't happen. Well, we'll see. And Yeah, well, so so I have a great story of synchronicity with New Year's Day. Please um, tell. Well, I thought about it. And New Year's Day is the song that started a whole era that's been amazing, which is, uh, well, the way I spent the the 2010s, you know, I won't get too into it because it's been a really, really busy, transformative decade. But um, the song New Year's Day was written, I don't know if you know this, I wrote it for my mom to sing. I was producing her at the beginning of, you know, like it was 2011. I was producing a Christmas record for her and she didn't want to write any songs for it. And mostly it was covers, you know, like standards and things. And um, the record got Grammy nominated actually. And I, you know, I struggled to find 
good New Year's songs. And so it's like, ah, I'm going to have to write one. Uh, and I and wrote that. Really had the lyric. The lyric kind of, you know, was gestating over a, a lot of months without being written down. I just had the sense of what the song had to say. And then I was in England um, and I ended up writing with an old friend, Guy Chambers, who's super talented, you know, hugely successful musician, you know, multi, you know, plays everything and um, great producer. And, you know, he said, Let, let's write. So I, it turns out his studio was practically across the street from where I was staying. And he came, he sat at the piano and, and the lyrics just really like kind of fell out. And we had this song and she did it on piano. And long story short is sometime next year, Jim Nelson at KCSN asked me to come in um, and do something in the station and wanted me to play that song, but didn't have a piano, which is like my life thing. It's like, why don't people have pianos? Like if you're a radio station, if you're a venue, you know, it's to me like, you know, it's kind of a piece of furniture that should be part of the scenery, you know, if you make music in a room to me. But many people don't have piano. So it's like, oh man, I'm gonna have to learn how to play this on the guitar. I have no idea how to play it. So I played it on guitar and it turned into this whole other cool thing that, you know, I've been playing now for years. Um, anyway, I was looking at Facebook and I saw that some of my friends were playing at the cinema bar. Do you know the cinema bar? Love it. It's, yes. It's yeah. Beautiful. Great. Coolest tiny little, little venue. venue. Love it. Yeah. And it's great when you have, if you have 30 people in there, it feels full, but it is a drag if you have only 10 people and they're all talking at the bar. But on this particular night, I saw that David Berewald, Dylan O'Brien and Don Heffington. I didn't know Don, but I, I knew Dylan and David were, were playing there. And I just said, you know what? I love seeing my musician friends. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go and support them. It'll be great. And, you know, I was just in, you know, relaxation mode. Like, I don't know what I did that day, but it's just I'm going to go and hang, have a beer and see my friends play. I walk in to the cinema bar that night and the second I walk in David Berwald says Louise play a song hands me his guitar and I'm like oh god you know I'm not prepared to play anything right now and the only song that I thought I could possibly remember was New Year's Day so I picked his guitar put a capo on it and played New Year's Day and then that was the day that I met Dave Way. He was like, hey, we have mutual friends. I can't believe we've never met. Um, you know, come to the studio sometime. Come to the studio and bring a song. And then the very next evening, I went to see World Party play at the Troubadour and Dave Way was there again. And I said, so when are we gonna do this song? He goes, I don't know, how about next week? And then there was a band, and I said, well, who's going to be the band? And we were standing at that bar and it was like, how about these guys, you know, standing right with us, which were amazing musicians. And and then I did go in and we cut this song called The Fifth of July. 
Um, but my, but what happened because of that night at the cinema bar, meeting Dave and him inviting me to do a song, is later that year, uh, a super fan. This is a dream situation that you know. You would you would say, Louise, wake up. This is never going to happen. Get your life together. If I told you this, you know, as something I wanted to happen, but. Um, I taught a songwriting masterclass and one of the students there bought a bunch of my CDs and, and fell in love with my CDs and was like chasing me for months and months and months, writing me 80 billion emails. I always say that, but it really, truly is the truth. There's so many emails from him and they're long and they're detailed and they're all, you know, they're not stocky. They're all about music and production and engineering and every once in a while he'll throw on some conspiracy theory stuff that I just go, oh, I can't keep up with this, you know. But um, eventually I got on the phone with him and he was like, why aren't you in the studio? And I said, well, you know, it's expensive. And um, he basically bankrolled me to make two albums and two albums, not like on a shoestring, two albums with Van Dyke Parks, um, doing arrangements, flying in, you know, a rhythm section that I loved who played with me in, 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 uh, at Hyde Park when I opened for my mom in 2016, uh, 20, yeah, 2016. And, you know, it's just, it was just the most amazing bands and musicians like a dream situation and uh and that all started by because i walked into the cinema bar that night to support my friends and had nothing planned and happened that night to play in your state so there you go well i'm kind of curious how you think that might relate to mike's so Mike's question, obviously there's the question. Yeah, is true love a thing of the past? Is true love a thing of the past? And then there's sort of the context in which he's asking it, which is that place of being deep in a relationship where the relationship is, there's where the, whether there is, there is, is a relationship is very much in question. Uh, not in the sense of like, hey, how do I like just one of those complicated relationships where you're like, well, what are we? What are we? You know, what are, what are we? Do? Uh, it, it couldn't be more apt, believe me. Yeah. It could. It could. Could not. Yeah. It could not be more synchronistic. Um. Well, first of all, when I listened to the song in your show with his question, I thought the song didn't did an excellent job of answering the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. You know, because he, he was saying, you know, what do I do? Do I just, like, give up? Is it, is it an illusion? And, you know, the song saying, um, you know, you pick yourself up and take a chance again. And it could be the time of your life. You know, everything's going to be all right. It'll be okay in every way, making it better. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of lines in there that I thought spoke to the question really well. And then, you know... His question, too, it sounded like it was very personal for him. Um, but that question applies 
heavily under the circumstances of the virus and the dangers. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I have, I'm cautious and sensible, you know, and then there are people who, I mean, not particularly people I know, but there are people who just, you know, they won't be stopped by anything to live their lives and do the things they want to do. You know, I'm not one of those people. Um, but I have, I have a friend who just, you know, texted me that they take it, they're taking a camping trip, you know, and I guess what was the line that he said? He said, you'd be surprised. It doesn't take, uh, that much. It doesn't take much to feel a lot more quote unquote normal. I'll tell you. And yeah, that's, it's that whole thing of a butterfly flaps its wings. You know, I, I sometimes think big changes in attitude or experience or love affairs, um, a lot can change with pretty small adjustments, you know? And I think, you know, some of the things with the pandemic is, you know, it's not a one size fits all for everybody that we all need joy in our lives. We need fresh air and you just have to pick, you know, what, what risks you feel you can manage and, and feel safe doing. Um, but to be like, you know, hermetically sealed and, and just put your life on hold while you know, we you wait indefinitely for a vaccine or, you know, that seems crazy to me. Well, these are crazy times. I mean, is there like, is there a, so that's a question. Is there a sane response like this? Every, basically every response to this crazy situation is, you know, compared to where we were a year ago is nuts, right? It is, I guess, um, well, here's the thing. At the beginning, I was horrified at the idea of even social distance hanging, you know? It was just like, I got really used to patting myself on the back on what a great job I was doing at not seeing anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, I guess it was Tom Freund asked me to do, uh, thing for the 4th of July, which was outdoors in Venice um, and filmed. And we were all standing 10 feet apart. And I was like, it was euphoric. I just like playing with musicians after, you know, being in quarantine all that time. I just, my heart exploded with happiness. It was so nice. Um, and, and then, of course, my car wouldn't start afterwards because I hadn't been driving my car at all for two months. So the battery was like, it wouldn't, didn't want to leave, but we, we sorted that out. But yeah, that was the first thing that I did. And then, you know, some friends came over, uh, Kathy Valentine, who also did, did an interview on Song Chronicles. She was in town and she and her daughter came over and we sat outside and at a distance and and the other day I went to my sisters and saw two of my sisters and uh, 
hung out in the backyard, you know, 12 feet away, played with the dogs, you know, I mean, all of that stuff is safe. You're outside, you're masked, you're, there's a breeze blowing, you're washing your hands, but it's, it's just so awkward, you know, it just feels like you can't really, you can't really get momentum going, you know, that social momentum of community and uh, movement. Yeah. So, but however, because we don't know how long it's going, we need more than, you know, people say, well, you got to be safe. You know, you can't get the virus and all that. That's true. You have to be safe and you have to keep other people safe, which is, you know, like people say, well, I don't care what they say. I'm not going to wear a mask. And you're endangering all the people that you're passing on the street. Mm. Like, that's just, I'm just not even going to go there. But, you know, we have to not just care for our lungs, but we also, it's important to care for our souls and spirit too, you know, and find out, like my friend said, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a little bit of a adjustment to feel normal, you know? Um, what's that movie? It's a beautiful life, yeah. you know, where they're, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, what joy can you bring? Because that whole thing of like where focus goes, energy flows, like if everyone's focused on the news constantly, constantly focused on the news, constantly on Facebook, you know, now look what he's doing. And now look how stupid these people are. And, you know, that that's that's how many people are spending their entire day scrolling and just watching one horrific, scary, negative thing after another and I mean how is that supposed to help us get through this time and uh, love each other and you know love ourselves really yeah yeah no it's the it's one of the things that I struggle with as someone who tries to to Strives to live both a spiritual life and a political life. And yeah. trying to find that balance. It's important to pay attention. It's an important it's important to bear witness and it's important to share information in the with the with your community. Those are all really good and positive impulses. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I've felt it from myself, uh, particularly during the primary, like this sense of like I know that my intentions are good, but I can't help feeling like I am act, I'm acting like a weapon out there in this space. And I'm being made into a weapon even though what I'm putting out isn't you know, isn't aggressive where it lands it might be. And I I'm seeing my friends who you know are so like it's important to to be aware that this, you know, our our current leader is uh, is a is an incredible danger, and at the same time, my friends who talk about him every day, who are always posting, like you said, about look at what this and oh, isn't he terrible? It's sort of like you're giving a lot of your energy every day to that, 
And, you know, the mad, the magician in me thinks, uh, the universe can't quite tell the difference between excited anger and excited enthusiasm, excited enthusiasm for, you know, it's just like energy in the direction of is, you know, feeds that thing. And again, you don't want to say just ignore it. So it's really, it's a, I, I, what you're saying is true. And it's such a fine balance for, you know, for people who, who want to keep a sort of a foot in both worlds, right? How, and how do you navigate that? Well, I'm in a different place than I've been because I've, I've just been go, go, go for a lot of years. Um, not so much, not so much touring because I don't, I've never really toured a lot, but I, you know, going, going to songwriting retreats in the summertime or in the spring, you know, probably going to one or two a year, um, has really, been amazing for me to to give me a sense of community like at one point I thought oh god you know my kids are getting older now and I'm I'm gonna be you know facing empty nest and I live in the suburbs I'm gonna lose my mind you know maybe I should move somewhere like hipper you know and all this but then I travel and go to these retreats and I realized that I'm a I'm a resident of the world. Like it doesn't really matter where I live because, you know, first of all, wherever I go, there I am. But, um, you know, I, it's like, okay, in my living room, if I'm in the suburbs, you know, my living room is cool and exciting and I don't need to step out and have it be like Brooklyn or Silver Lake for me to feel like I'm somewhere, you know, where things are being created. Um, so I would, I, I would really be nourished by these songwriting things. I come back with a bunch of songs and have met a lot of people, feel really bonded with, you know, a whole bunch of people who live in lots of different states, you know, and still be on the phone with them, checking in on them. And uh, so I was doing that, which was really nourishing for me. And... Also playing some shows, you know, here and there. Um, and one of the things I I did really want to do, I guess it was in the middle of the last decade, was I really wanted to be able to play solo because, first of all, it was just really hard to pay a band and make any money whatsoever. <laughs> you know, by the time you paid the band, it, I, I was usually losing money. So I thought if I really want to play shows or play house concerts, I'm going to have to figure out how to play, you know, 15 to 22 songs on my own. And yeah. so, you know, I, I did that. I did that. I, you know, I, I turned into a person who could really own their material, you know, and, and I wasn't that person. I was a person who knew how to make tracks and knew how to play different instruments and layer things. But if you asked me to play the song, I, I, I kind of didn't have it in my body. You know, I wasn't rehearsing them enough. I hadn't really worked out, well, how do you strip this one down? You know, what's the essential part that you play and that you're singing at the same time. So, you know, that was one thing that I was doing more of. Um, and then, you know, when I put out the first of these two records, you know, that I said I got to make, I kind of wanted a video for 
almost every song, you know, it's like, I got to make a video for that. And, and I didn't have the budget to just go hire people. And I was always, not always, but often unhappy with the edit. And I'd end up, you know, giving it to Frankie Louise, who was one person I really did trust to make videos. And she was a great editor too. And she would often like re-edit things and, and then I, it was actually my son, like all, all the coolest things I, I've learned how to do, you know, it's funny because I remember when my son was 12, it's like, how do you use iMovie? And I'd show him and then he was making all this cool stuff. But at some point I was on iMovie maybe three years ago or four years ago. And he looked at me and he just said, mom, you got to get off of iMovie. And I said, really? Why? He said, because it's just everybody everyone my generation like has seen has grown up seeing every in the can effect that it has and every font and you know you got to you got to move to adobe you got to move to premiere pro and you be able to do that and so i did and then i realized i knew how to do all this you know i had this really big palette all of a sudden well not really big but just way way bigger enough that i could express myself so you know, I just started getting into making videos, which are very time consuming. And then Paul Zolo and I started the um, that podcast. And that, that was just like, man, we just churned out so many amazing things like boom, 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 boom. You know, there's like oh, 33 episodes and, and every one of them is just really interesting and incredible. Um, but again, I was doing... I was doing a lot of the heavy lifting production, which you know what's involved in that, you know, it's, I mean, it doesn't yeah. have to be. Yeah, it, I mean, it has to be a certain amount. And then every, if you just think of like any cool little whistler bell you add to it, you're going to be doing that every week for the rest of your of the show you know it's like if you like you have this yeah. cool little crossfade and it's like that's cool i think i'm gonna do that and it's like oh but that's gonna that's gonna be an act 10 or 15 minutes every week when you're that that's added on to it and those like every little thing does i mean this is not coming from a place of complaint but of just a, yeah I, it does no it does i'm, I'm when i say it doesn't have to be meaning that some people don't do that you can listen to some podcasts and you you get the feeling yeah. that they, they just, yeah. you know, they do it live. They, you know, people talk, they go off topic and all sorts of things happen. And, it, it, you know, they just do that. But for me, I'm, I'm, my head is geared like a record maker, you know, so I, I'm actually really working on letting, letting myself be 90% because it, that perfectionism, I'll get tied up for like, for example, like plosives, you know, someone pops peas. I'll just go through and spend, I'll spend hours like shaving down those little puzz, you know, just because I get sound crazy with things. And, oh, that's a bad edit. I got to go and crossfade that better. And, you know, I'm listening in headphones and, uh, yeah, it's, it's super time consuming. And then there's also the blog and the writing and, the social media after the fact it's it is it's super uh time consuming and i love it and i always feel so happy afterwards and i don't know if you feel this way but 
when I'm working on editing a, an episode, I'm always really happy at the end of the day and I go, I feel like I've just hung out with people. Oh yeah, I was uh, editing that podcast where I had that conversation with, you know, whoever it was. And it nourishes me in the same way that I've just spent the afternoon with somebody, you know, like a, a good friend. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's what people get from it when they listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I, that is the that is the hope. I, I'll be honest; my experience is a little uh, is a little bit more. I enjoy I enjoy the time listening to the other person, but every minute of dealing with my own voice and my uh, I, you know everyone has trouble with their own voices, but you know I'll tell you a funny story. I know what my um looks like. In a way, mm-hmm. as like I, I spend my That's life hilarious. hunting so ums, funny. and I, I'm not usually during the summer. I go and I spend a, the summer or a good chunk of the heat of the summer on a in a beach house that my family has on Cape Cod. That's been in the family for generations, well, a few couple generations, and there's it's right on the water, and it's there's a there's it's like it's called it's an inlet but we call it the pond and across the pond there's like kind of like it looks like an island it's not really an island because it's a spit but it has these little forests on it and i was out there the last summer and looking at it and i was like oh my god that is the same shape as one of my ums i grew up in the shadow of this gigantic it's this exact it's like a big slug that's what my ums look like and so yeah so they, they um they haunt me so, uh, but you know, eventually you make friends with it, and you have your processes, and and I do feel good when it's done. That's for sure. But you know, you were saying about like uh, you know keeping things moving. I got to We got to get to the next part of this, which there's another bit of synchronicity to explore here because today's song of the day is by Bart Davenport. I'm in love, of my heart, over the waves of blue. And his song Pamela. And he was the person who I had come on the show as your substitute when you were unavailable the last time. So he was the one mm-hmm. who, who spoke about your song and had some really, really uh, wonderful things to say. And nice. then it was just fun for me this morning when I woke up and saw that today's song of the day was one of his songs. And I'm just kind of curious... Did you have any particular synchronicity or thoughts about the song Pamela by Bart Davenport? I loved it. It just, it tickled me. It was really fun. I, I love songs with names, you know, as the hook. Um, I've never heard one with Pamela. That's, yeah. yeah, I loved it. I love the no contradiction to be bold and cute and... Uh, uh, all about you know you're right the world's turning into day and night and yeah it was there was so many cool things in it very uplifting sweet are you are you familiar with Bart no oh he's but I, I will be now oh he's a he's been around for a long time uh, great songwriter uh, was in a bunch of bands in the Bay Area really one uh-huh. of the one of the best one of the best uh, and smartest people I know about songs. I don't know where he'd fit in the Pantheon, but he would definitely be a great potential guest for your show. 
He oh, has great. So Fantastic. many wonderful things to say about songs beyond just his own. He's one of those real scholarly people. Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, just curious, do you, are there any Pamela's in your life? No, not really. Really? No Pams, no Pamela's? No. Hmm. Any any Pamela's in your like record collection or Pamela's in your... No. I'm trying to think of famous Pamela's. Uh, I, I don't even know. Pamela Adlon? <laughs> do you know do you know Pam do you know Pamela Adlon? Mm-mm. Well, she's been on a bunch of TV shows, but she's also uh, a friend of our mutual friend Lily Hayden's and another mm. very precocious California showbiz kid. Uh, you know, in the sense of growing up and being doing a lot of show business when they were very young and probably right. about our age. Uh-huh. So, uh, anyway, um, I'm always just, I'm, you know, I'm always fishing for little synchronicities. You ask these questions, you never know what you're going to come across. Uh, you, have you ever spent any time in Spain? Uh, yeah, actually, I have. Um, On that tour with Brian Ferry? Did you did you do that? Well, well, yeah, we went to Madrid. I mean, that was one, one night. Um, we actually went to dinner with Pedro Almodovar. Um I'm not sure how the syllables or the accents go, but I've always heard it, heard it as Almodovar, but I don't oh, know. Oh, Alm- okay. I could be wrong. Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, that was and that was kind of a amazing situation. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I guess what I related to most was the the flirty funness the of whimsy, the song, the whimsy of it. Yes, Bart yeah. has. Bart has a copious amount of whimsy for a guy who is as deeply soulful as he is. Um, when I uh, when I used to make musical tarot decks to fill up my early versions of what would become this app, I would put I would put together uh, have certain artists who typified certain elements, and I would always have Bart songs in the air category. It's, they're very airy, they're full of full of space. So, I love uh, the whole idea, but you know, I play ukulele though. That's the most common. Here's my ukulele. Yeah, you were saying that you played the ukulele in uh, the Brian Ferry video. Oh no, actually, I played a banjo. Oh, see, damn. Sorry about that. You did say a banjo. Yeah, it's okay. And and I didn't really play it. It was all kind of lip sync, and my hair was super short. Um. And I had all this eye makeup on, kind of. It was. It looked like you know, 1930s Berlin. Really, was the look of the video. But yeah, it's a great song, and I like the. I like the whimsy of it, and if that's the the song of the day, it kind of gives me the message to just lighten up. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, uh, lighten up and. Get deep, because it is now time for you to ask your question to the pop oracle, Louise Goffin. Do you have the Radio 8 Ball app at the ready? All right. Okay. What is your question for the pop oracle? It's. It, I actually entered it, too. Okay. So the question is, what is the best question to ask in life? Okay, and it sounds like you already gave it a shake. So what is your answer? It's sense and anti-sense, synchronistic duologue. Oh, wow. Okay, so 
so this is synchronistic duologue. It was a couple of poets who came onto the show and wow. did random synchronistic wow. poetry. So uh, let's listen to it. And that is insane answer to that question. One, two, two three. Movies in, in parallel, parallel, different paths, meaning sound won't say everything. You so see me standing, comprehend seeing here before you, duologic personas, and books you haven't read, and songs for your unintentional therapy. I'm a flower, so as these certain sounds fall into your mind, attenuate to the voice of least insistence before you. In the grand scheme of whatever, to save I'm lost in the hallowed eyes of yesterday's decades flavorful of uncommon knowledge. We then we scream now, at all of ourselves, but only remember then. And we spend we our accumulated moments of a lifetime on pieces of meaning puzzles. Spanning entropy with order and obsession. Grow like all tomorrow ways always are likes tomorrow. To grow and That's always been spikes, just enough. Radiating out away right. in exodus. Look, they capitulate implied consent along the path of least resistance. You'll find yourself left the palm in front of the other shifting places when they should be screaming. Convenience is the enemy. It's how we move. It is with reason you, you and I work so well me, to bring together spirit you. and spine. Or maybe Please. we attempt to move in the space where that split does not exist. Take my hand. Where the stories of duality they tell us won't define us and no longer bind Make us. Sure you don't to repeat the same old tired step. plots along the same old worried paths. Listen with your different meaning sounds. The path is worth everything. A lifetime of listening to music creates calendars of songs sound and relates generations While songs. keeping that beer in the headlights gaze. Sound songs. Six-digit executive sounds. actions competing to vanquish while stock trading in safety. Through third-party intermediaries. But we, Felt it. we stay connected Rolled to the new, the green, the people of accustomed to aspirations and dreams. It's Not a poetic apology in defense of buildings like butter and softening the anticipation of the spreading knife. John, Jimmy, and Janice Cut. gave me the tools to this know is all wrong. for you. We're all over the and place here, and tell we you, need to start the real sin. becoming an, an understanding. Of soul on the dark desert highway. Tomorrow I will have been our memory. Sent unseen and bound to grow, grow, grow your boat. Facing yesterday, sculpting tomorrow with as cold form full of flesh Slow of rowing, like waiting As today waiting. rewinds at the door. we keep joking to familiar. that suede-soaked boy in the last row of the We should the put an album on. You know me, man. Run some I'm tones on the list. in the background to more firmly place us. So do me this compound favor, breathe. if you will. Rise up and find when we've made it this sleeping. far. So drop silverfoot ballast with your mouth closed, heart we bursting, are palm open. Indexing as we go merrily along this a drain. large sapling, really. Ain't it grand? And it's to up talk the mind to become divine without mentioning religion. Excited by its chances, it recently just chat with a, a passenger who's soon as we'll be shaved from sitting a lifetime, a lifetime listening, listening to our music, our music nights, nights, slowly spun tales, bringing you and me to us. Welcome. Welcome. May, May I take, take your coat? Cream? cream? Yes. That's, that's correct. correct. Yes. The offices of music. Has anyone seen a blue velvet jacket? Here. 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 Here, Here that, my heart yammers the cage of me. Unless I'm sorely mistaken, that was our experience coagulated. In your eyes, all of a sudden, is fiercely bright. Let me tell my you a story. Flight is much too it short. even involves myself. My part clamors for rage. I was a collecting with my on a, a decide walk 
when in conversation with, double with the quickly becoming clear friend, we are at he once synced up with twenty-three A of this poem. Perpendicular people whose angles encompass more than it's a fool's food. paradise. And still, idioms become realities, and sinking. talking points present a hunger. She takes which pleasure in the adjectives, and he the nouns. So similarly, true they words see and time crossed halfway in fake debate. Stream swindle, the bones of the privileged skulls that love hate. It is grow tomorrow, here, here tomorrow. Grown daily. As always, this synchronistic contraction can be exponentially nurturing. expanded. But the mystery can't lie too deeply. Post. Otherwise, Power on it's self-test. no mystery at all. Is this thing on? Do you remember my reminder? Is this thing on? To breathe. Is this thing on? I bet you already forgot. These words are as much mine alive, as the tongue I twist them with. Much of my audience much yours isn't. as the ears you hear it with. Everybody should the practice saying that. The dream is as much that. ours as the waves initially. My the audience. Just a wet kiss after on all, glass after everybody the storm is everybody is else's. It's always been everybody about the spaces should see in a play in an unknown language. The rare distilled qualities everybody of the Ecumenian and cautious awakening everybody the wonder of our slumbers. It's how Strains of rain or melodies manifest. and twining chains run counterpoint and backbeat to fill it all until even silence is split with time and pitch. Jazz does it. Sweet as sugar water, we've met, met up with Chiba Mato. Palindromic playthings on a 2012 traveling poetic orchestra roadshow revival. And what was the name of that piece? Sense and Anti-Sense. Sense and Anti-Sense. And that was Synchronistic Duologue, doing Sense and Anti-Sense, live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS and Olympia on May 8th. 2007. That was a long time ago. And that was very unique. We've only had a few poets on the show that has not, I mean, who are strictly poets without music. Uh, Synchronistic Duologue were one. I don't even remember who those two guys are. So I don't know how I'll be able to find them. They just showed up as Synchronistic Duologue and then left. Uh, we've had John Trudell on the show back when he was sharing the planet with us. That was a great one. And I feel like we had a couple of other poets. But anyway, that was the answer to your question. Yeah. What is the best question to ask in life? What is the best question to ask in life? And what did you think about that as the answer to that question? Just pretty amazing answer. Um, First of all, the title is Sense and Anti-Sense. You know, so that tells me that any answer that you get with whatever questions you ask is going to be both sense and anti-sense. Um, but yeah, there, I, I was taking notes, you know, I was writing down the things that stuck out mm-hmm. and uh, in, in terms of the answer to what is the best question to ask in life. I heard movies in parallel, unintentional therapy, uh, something about order and obsession, uh, order and obsession radiating out away and exodus. Convenience is the enemy. Take my hand. Uh, Repeat the same old tired plots along the same old worried paths. Something about a calendar, songs, songs creating calendars in our lives. Mm, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, oh, have you touched her skin lately? Um, 
And then, and then what I love is that they're all like, it's like complete two totally different inner voices talking. And then they suddenly synchronize, mm -hmm. you know, and they're, and they're talking together, which that was a beautiful moment. Um, you know, that maybe somehow with some humanness and connection, we can all synchronize all of the obsessive, you know, disparate thoughts that the, the movies in parallel were having. Incidentally, the record that I have out now, the album I have is called Two Different Movies. Really? Um, so when, it, yeah, it, it's talking about movies in parallel and uh, that's what the title of my album is. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty great. And then uh, one person says, "Do you remember my reminder to breathe?" <laughs> uh, and, and then, and then I also heard, "Everything should play in an unknown language." And I, and I relate to that personally because when I go to these songwriting retreats, one of the things that I most would like the people in the room to be doing is not playing the instrument that they're best on. Like, I actually think, you know, proficiency at something can block originality or, or, well, I'm totally going to go off topic, but I have this thing, you know, probably similar to you because you're all into like, okay, what, it, what are the meanings? How are things synchronizing? Like I'm doing that all the time. Like every time I see any, insect or animal i immediately look up what totem it is you know mm -hmm. why did i see this now and what is it trying to tell me but um when i when i lived in london i went at very brief time i went to art school there and i i don't see myself as a good drawer you know like there's a lot of things i will happily say i do well but i wouldn't say drawing is one of them However, I was really, really good at looking at a complete like splotch on the table, like a stain or, you know, something inside of a tree trunk, just random, like, you know, blot test things. And I would see things in them. Like I'd see, oh, that's a man on a horse. And I would, I could literally like chase, trace the ink splot but I would see the man on the horse in it. And then it wouldn't be like I was drawing. It would almost be like I was tracing, but then I would make this like beautiful picture of something that only I was seeing in it. So when it said everything should play in an unknown language, that's what it meant to me. Like you can actually see more in the things that you don't understand than you can in the things that you think you understand. Yeah. Yeah. So my question, what is the best question to ask in life? Is really, that's a pretty humble question in itself because it's saying, I want to ask the question that's going to reveal the most valuable information to me. <laughs> and, um, and, and that means not looking for an answer that's going to solve your whatever problem you think you have. You know what I mean? So just that open-mindedness. God, I just, I, I, 
I'm sure people by now are going like, what is she talking no, about? No, what are they? This what, is, what, no, what, no. What are, they have followed us are, this far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> they're, they're, their brains are just as weird as ours. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I was thinking, I, a couple things struck me. There was the sense, and so sense, the it would seem like would be sense and nonsense, but it's sense mm-hmm. and anti-sense, which is, you know, they're poets. So these are, you imagine they chose these things with, uh, you know, with purpose. And... I really liked what you were getting at in that idea of, uh, I guess, in this realm of sense and anti-sense, we have to speak in metaphors and we have to speak because it's very hard. It's, it's We're in slippery territory, right? We're trying to speak through yeah. two conversations that are a cacophony that then comes and harmonizes and sing, or unifies and then goes off. But that sense that... So what is the best question to be asking in life? is to be constantly questioning, right? So you ask a question, why is this this way? And you get an answer, and the answer gives you the concrete answer. But then the anti-sense is all of the context, all of the other possible answers that in some sense could be true in different contexts or in different from different points of view around the answer to your question. Like the question is, how do I get from here to there? Well, I'll tell you how to get from here to there. But we all know that there's multiple ways that I could tell you how to get from here or there. And that's sort of like when I think of like, there's the sense, which is the right answer. And then there's the anti-sense, which is all the other potentially right answers. And what you don't want to do is get so locked into thinking that, okay, well, now I know how to get from here to there. That's the only way to get from here to there. And when someone else is going a different way, I'm going to correct them. And I'm not going to be open to any other ways because I know the way. And that's where you lose out on the sense of anti-sense, right? Or the, as you were saying, that willingness to pick up a new instrument. It's so funny that you're saying that too, because I've just started, I'm locked in my place and I'm producing myself on for the first time, just because I don't have engineers to work with or studios to go Uh to. And a friend lent me his keyboard and I used to play piano when I was a kid and but I've never really played on my own stuff and this week I laid down a keyboard part on a on a song for the first time I don't know in tw- since I had a piano and a Tascam 8 track in my uh in my place little wink to our nod to our friend the person who picked out that Tascam 8 track for me was our uh, our, our mutual friend Josh, Josh. Clayton yep oh <laughs> was, was, a- was it was it a um Portis Studio? Or yeah, was it, a... it was the Tascam 8-track. Portis, uh, yeah, that was the one that he, he, he was like, if you're going to do some recording, this is what I work on. So anyway, um, yeah, so it's just fun. And I, and I really didn't think I, w- I was really judgmental about myself when I laid it down. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to lay this down because I'll get someone better to play it. But as I've started to listen to it, I kind of like it in the way that... Uh, if I had someone else do it, if I had like if I I'd be if I had another friend who had never who sort of knew how to play piano but sort of did the Al Cooper thing, like they say Al Cooper played the organ on like a Rolling Stone, he'd never played organ before. He's like, you know, maybe you just put that person on that, and maybe they're going to hit that one sort of dumb idea that someone who is better would never do because they're like, ah, oh, that's too obvious, but it's just what the song needs. Anyway, now that. I now I've filled up some space where people are like, "What's he talking about?" So now we're even. 
No, no, I, I, I'm with you 100% on all of that. Like, I just think, you know, authenticity. I mean, I, I made these last two records with amazing musicians. So, I mean, that that's an amazing thing. I'm not going to knock people who like really know how to play their shit and come up with amazing parts oh, and have yeah. amazing sounds. And, you know, really like every musician in the room is, is a producer, you know, and, uh, but the flip side of that is, you know, what would it sound like if I, if I did this myself, because I don't really play this instrument that well, and I'll probably keep it really simple and come up with a good part, you know? And it will also have that humanity to it of character. And I, I'm I'm with you 100% on that. But but I want to go back to something you said that I was, thought was a really great thing you were going on before you got specific mm -hmm. about the playing on that instrument. Um, you were talking about if you ask a question with an answer, the answer becomes like, it's like a period at the end of the sentence where you're, you're not, it's like the window got shut. You open yeah. the window, you looked outside, you got the answer, you shut the window and then it's done. It's kind of, it's kind of the thing of like the worst person you could interview is you ask a question and you go, Hey, so, you know, how, how did you first start getting into music? They go, Oh, my high school teacher. <laughs> period and then you ask another question and they don't go on they just like give you those answers but what i was thinking when you were saying all that was that so much of our grooming and our programming and our prejudice and our um limited ways of looking at every situation Mm -hmm. is actually built into the questions we ask. You know, like, I've heard it said, like, if, if you if you want to live a better life, you just have to ask better questions, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to ask better quality questions. Like, the question isn't, am I going to get married? You know, um, will I get that <laughs> job? You know? I mean, those are shitty questions <laughs> because they're fear-based. They're, they're all like, you know, I need something out there in society to make me feel whole or, or whatever it is, you know. Um, and, the, and the beautiful thing is, is, is your whole, like your whole thing here, this whole thing you've got going is all about questions. Yeah. And, and asking I mean, I actually think that every time you ask a question, your subconscious is working on it, you know, or the universe is working on it. Like you will get an answer. You may not be aware that you're getting the answer, but three days later or a week later, you'll go, oh, I got it, you know, but you have to start with posing the question in the first place to, to tell your unconscious with its wealth of information you know, what it is you want it to go find for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, do, do you know what the motto of our show is? What? Questions answered, answers questioned. Oh, I love that. Which is love basically, that. that's the idea is like, there's a, I remember there was one of the many different 
uh, put it quotes around this cults. I, I use a very, very loose definition of that word, but you know, different, you know, from Namyoho Rengekyo Buddhism to landmark education to just all the dabbling in all these different practices. Uh, I remember in one of them, someone said, you know, today's breakthrough is just tomorrow's ego trip. And I feel like that's like, that's the, that's the real game is like, yeah, the answer you get today is good for today. It's not, it may not even be good for today. It's good for right now. Like that answer you just got that it might be interesting to look back on in 10 years. It might have some juice in 10 years, but only in that moment speaking to you in when you look at it. Like it's not, it's not a definitive answer. And I don't think any answers really are definitive answers. It's, I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably, forgive me if there's a sort of a mansplaining factor to this, because it also reminds me of a book I read where it was talking about the difference between masculine and feminine consciousness and sort of the, the, the sort of shoehorn description they used was to say that masculine consciousness is concerned with what is true over time and feminine consciousness is concerned with what is true now. Wow. And both have a certain validity, but... I guess this show leans more into that idea of what's true now, because that could change, but it's still, but if, but now is where you always are, right? So that the truth of what's going on now is a very potent and valid truth that often gets missed because we're so hooked on what was true 10 years ago and is definitely going to be true 10 years from now. So it has to be true in this moment when it might not matter. It, whether it's true or not, might not even matter to what's actually going on. So, yeah, I, I um, well, my grandmother had this great two words that she would always say that was really wise. She'd always say, "For now," <laughs> you know. <laughs> She'd stick that at the end of any sentence, you know, because and it was it was just it was so wise. But I'm gonna. Um, well, yeah, and then I also had a moment with my son where he was telling me about something he was doing, and I said, it makes me really happy because I always think that, you know, for myself, sometimes there's things I want to do, and they seem really hard in the moment. Like, how am I going to do that? You know, I don't know anyone who can help me with that, or I don't know the first thing about that, or, you know, there just seems to be obstacles. But, you know, the way things play out often for me is that there's this desire it could be a year later that the same thing that just seemed, you know, so hard to do is suddenly just ease, you know, ease. Oh, look, here's somebody who knows how to do that or, you know, doors open. And so he was, my son was having an experience of, you know, something that a year ago just was, you know, how do you do this? And and now all of a sudden there's there's ease around it. So I, I like seeing affirmation of that. I just want to say there's one thing I'm taking to task though. Um, landmark. Um, you know the thing the thing about those the thing about those intensive things is it's there's it's it to me they're like woven in all these actual truths you know, things that have come out of texts and books, you know, that are thousands years old mm-hmm. and psychology. And so, you know, to me, the danger of all that stuff is it's weaving real ac- accurate stuff that you go, wow, that's amazing. But then, you know, as soon as it says tomorrow, you know, today's breakthrough is tomorrow's ego trip. There's a shaming element in that sentence. And that's what those things do. 
Mm-hmm. That's what they do. They, you know, it, it gives you uh, uh, this is my opinion, but I mean, I, I went to a school in, in the seventies that was doing Scientology in the morning. Mm. You know, it was just like, it was just like, what is going on? You know, people were going to Est, and I grew up around that stuff and, and I've been exposed to a lot of it and not a lot of it, but you know, well, you grew up in More LA than, in the seventies. That'll, that'll, you know, that was a definite. Totally. But even, even, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years, it's, you know, landmark is, is not, that old and um you know seeing those kind of things but but they all have something in common which is you know raise you up break you down raise you up break you down raise you up. you're like so yeah i do agree like you know i've heard it said um you know when you try to solve something out of your own brain which is limited it may solve your problem today but that solution could be a problem tomorrow, you know, which is just the wisdom of being alive thing. But I don't know. I Well, I, I, I wrote a book and the, there's a chapter in it called The Balanced Diet of Cults. And I sort of talk about oh, wow. my experience with all these different uh, practices like that. And basically, it's one of those things where in order for those things to exist, there have to be fanatics who keep them going. And that, and I, my definition of cult, I include people who are fans of bands and, you know, like if you have a sort of a language and a outfit and a certain, you know, some sort of texts that you consider sacred and there are people who are in and people who are out and you want to, the people who are out, you kind of want to get them in by turning them onto this thing you're really excited about. And some people are built like that and they are, you know, they're happy in those places. Other people like myself are sort of happy to come in more like a, you know, a prospector, come in, grab some gold and get off the mountain and go on right. to, to prospect someplace else. Because ultimately, usually, you know, I guess maybe it's just because of the way we live. We live in a society where we have a balanced diet of all kinds of things, food, entertainment, you know, uh travel like different places that we live in a different time it might be might have been okay to have like one philosophy and one style of yeah, music I'm, I'm, and, not, you know. I'm not knocking it i'm not knocking it for sure it's it's i just do you know what i, I get do you remember a movie called the big fix it came uh, out when we I, would have been kids it was like in this like 77 78 and uh i just went back and saw it and richard dreyfus plays this old this former radical who's now a private detective and he gets hired to track down sort of an Abby Hoffman type played Mm -hmm. by F. Murray Abraham. But his ex-wife is going out with this guy who's an Est trainer and Uh he was so annoying. And it really reminded me of how I got a a lot of my prejudices about those. Uh, And I think that's in a weird way, just to bring this around, I'll stop talking about this, but I think part of what made me, a ripe target for things like that is that any group that everyone sort of hates and trash talks and makes fun of, there's a part mm-hmm. of me that's like, eh, I kind of want to see for myself. And, you know, I'll be honest, Landmark is all the things you said, but it wasn't as bad as that movie made it look. Not, they weren't all pretentious jerks, like the character, like... The way these characters are... Werner Earhart character? Yeah. Is that what it was? It was... No, he was just like some Est 
tight an est trainer right. like he uh-huh. and he was one you know back when they would make people stay there and not go to the bathroom and but they did really nail there are some very annoying parts about it and it's exactly what you talk about it is that that thing of building you up and cutting you down and i always tend to think that that comes from people's egos and not the teachings themselves but you know uh eventually i feel like a year in one of these organizations is about the right amount anymore and uh, there's a really yeah. deep psychology of manipulation and all of that, I, you know, um, because, it, you know, if you want to train a dog, you know, with Pavlovian things, you know, the whole thing about intermittent rewards, like a stroke, you know, makes you feel good, make you feel great. And then suddenly you create insecurity, you know, it, 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 it's a hook. It's a way to hook people. When you said stroke, you mean like a petting, right? Yeah, like petting, like okay. like we like the dopamine right. fix got we it, all get it. when we get likes on Facebook, you right. know, or or Instagram. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing too is you said you like to go in and then get off the mountain. I mean, good luck. You know, usually when you try and get off the mountain, you get a lot of phone calls. Oh well, like, see, oh, the, okay. Well, then let me share. This is for anyone listening who's ever in this situation. It's very simple. All of these organizations have their own language. First thing you do when you when you come into it, you learn their language. If they all have a way of saying no in their language that they will hear. If you learn how to tell them no in their own language, they will I mean, I don't know if you're in a real like all these cults that I'm talking about are very benign. Like the worst thing that happens is you get phone calls. You don't have I've never been in something that made, that forced me to stay. Like if I wasn't going to pay them anymore, right. they weren't going to bug me anymore um but you have to learn how to say like in like landmark would be you know like i hear what you're saying and i want to enroll you in the possibility of me having good boundaries and right now (laughs) it's important for me as the possibility of good boundaries to tell you that i am saying no to you right now and it would mean a lot to me if you hear that but if you don't i'm going to continue to hold that possibility until you do and then in that place (laughs) They really don't, they, they have to accept your possibility because that's their whole game. And this is, at, at the same time, I, if you're saying that, I guess you have to mean it too. Like if you're just like, I guess, yeah, yeah if you're just fucking, like, you don't, I don't know what the upside would be of, of messing with something like that. But at a certain point, there are people, so that's the thing is I think teachings are benign, but people get really hooked on the, on results. Like I want to make sure that you get enlightened. It's like eh, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that you get enlightened. <laughs> There's like a red flag ceremony yeah. going on right there. Yeah. But you know, the the best exercise really is, you know, you say say no in a language that they can understand. But I I think. You know that thing that no is a complete sentence. You know, yeah. if you, you know, when you really, really mean no, you know, every, every, every creature, you know, can feel the energy of that, and and yeah. and then you don't need all the words to justify. But yeah, we've gone way off. This is like a whole other episode here. Well, we're gonna jump to the next part where I ask my question. But before we do, do you, uh, I'm gonna include all the links to the uh, to your site and to your Instagram and 
uh, to your podcast in the show notes. But is there anything you'd like to particularly direct listeners' attention to? Yeah. Um, I, I suppose go to my website, louisegoffin.com, and, you know, there'll be there'll be a description of the record there. There's also a FYC page there where you can listen to the record because there's a few things that are, you know, being submitted to the Grammys this year. And um, also, oh, this is like a, a a big thing, I should say. The cover of my album was drawn by Joni Mitchell. Wow. Yeah, in, 19, in 1971. So... Oh, wow. So in 1971, my mom took me and my sister, it was summertime, on a tour to to England and Scotland, and maybe Ireland. Um, it was James Taylor, my mom, and Joe Mama. And, you know, I remember there was, there's footage, I think, online, you know, James Taylor and my mom playing at the BBC. And we were dragged along to all of that. No wonder I moved to England for 10 years <laughs> in my mid-20s, early 20s. Um, but, yeah, Joni Mitchell, I think Joni Mitchell was dating James then. And she showed up backstage at one of the, it was in Scotland, and the backstage was like a locker room. And she just pulled out a pad and she sketched a, a little sketch it's like five by seven you know sketch paper one of my sister and one of me and I had it I've had it for years I you know she signed the back Joan Mitchell and um I had it for years and you know put sun protective glass on it but you know it was starting to look like it was fading because there was no real art, artistic intention, you know, the, I'm sure the pencil wasn't like the kind that doesn't fade or the paper maybe mm -hmm. had acid in it. Um, but I did have the presence of mind in the nineties when Josh Clayton felt was, uh, my roommate actually. Um, he was renting the back of my house in Laurel Canyon. I had the presence of mind to, uh, make photocopies of it you know, and expand it. So like the, the lines were a little thicker in, in the photocopy. And I, I saved those. Um, and then when it came around to this record, I, I don't know. I mean, this is my 10th album and I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but I just had this aha moment, like this should be my cover. And, uh, you know, I, I reached, I, try to find a represent, uh, you know, like a manager or I got, ended up getting a, a number, an email of her attorney and wrote and said, Hey, you know, here's a scan of this picture. Joni drew of me when I was 11 years old. Can you, um, you know, I would really like to use it for my record cover, but I only want to do it, you know, with her blessings. And, and, and I got a response in like a week saying she thinks it would make a, a great record cover. And I was like, woo, <laughs> you know, freaking out. Um, and it just looks great. And it is a great drawing. It's so simple. It's so beautiful the way she did it. I was wearing fry boots and you can see the like, you know, <laughs> back back in those days. And, uh, and, and a weird thing is I have a picture of myself holding the guitar in the locker room 
which is the exact position I was in that she drew. And that picture is really low res and nobody knows who took it. It's just really strange. So on my record package, um, you know, I have her, her photo, uh, her drawing on the front and in the inner sleeve, I have a Polaroid of this weird, obscure, un, uncredited photo of me in the same room, you know? Wow. What a great, what a great time capsule to have. Yeah. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening, with our guest, Louise Goffin. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app, and if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. And finally, I do hope you will join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my pop oracle reading, where I asked, How can we know what conspiracies are real without theories? The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with a new song from Louise Goffin called Oh My God. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. Help me close like a lover. I got a letter from you. You took the bullet out of my heart and you pulled me through. It's a roller coaster hologram that spins out for real. I did the best that I knew. Now you take the wheel. Oh, yeah, I know when you're.
is a new podcast that chronicles the stories behind songs, talks to the people who were there and the thoughts that they had when things happened in history that have affected all of our lives. Song Chronicles is produced and hosted by me, Louise Goffin. Our first guests are Sam Hollander, Desmond Child, Kathy Valentine, J.D. Souther, and Gail Ann Dorsey. Coming soon, Peter Case, and more. Tune in and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.